coming up on a really good enough parent podcast, I'm looking forward to introducing you to my dear old friend, Timur Kochak. Timur makes his home in New York City, where he and his wife are raising their two spectacular children. Timur will share his thoughts on the importance of food and its role in the family life and how to raise well-disciplined children without a heavy disciplinary hand. Stay tuned for more on how to be a really good enough parent with special guest, Timur Kochak. Hi, and welcome to a Really Good Enough Parent podcast. My name is Christine Altwies. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, and for 30 years I worked in intercountry and domestic adoption and family counseling. I'm the clinical director at Pono Roots Counseling Center, where our focus is on family systems, and I'm also a mother. I've created a Really Good Enough Parent podcast in response to what we see every day in our clinic. Childhood mental health issues are skyrocketing, and it doesn't have to be this way. I know that really good enough parenting is a skill we all possess. As a parent myself, I also understand how easy it is to lose sight and to mistrust or panic in the face of a melting down child or an impudent teen. The good news is that you have what it takes to help your child. Take a breath. See your child's innocence. You can do this. This podcast will feature some of the incredible people I've been lucky enough to meet in my life. No two have raised their children the same, and all have done a really good enough job. You'll hear new perspectives on how to handle tough situations. You'll be reminded of how your own parenting takes its cue from childhood. And hopefully, you'll feel invigorated to go do a really good enough job at this most rewarding of all human endeavors. A Really Good Enough Parent podcast is designed to be story time for adults. So thanks for being here with me today. I do appreciate you. Enjoy the show. Hi, and welcome back to a Really Good Enough Parent podcast. As always, I have carefully and hand-selectedly selected, that's not even a thing, I have so carefully selected this next guest for your (laughs) amusement, edification, entertainment, and general enlightenment, my dear, dear friend, Timur Kochak, who I have known since I was probably, I don't know, second grade, third grade, it feels like forever. Um, Timur grew up in Detroit with me and now lives in New York City. And the reason I've invited him on invited him on is because I think he lives a really admirable life. And I think that he is doing an incredible job raising two amazing humans. And that all of that definitely puts him in the really good enough parent category. So with that long winded and tongue trippy introduction, welcome Timmer. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Chris. I'm so glad to be here. I'm so glad to uh, see you. And for those who can't <laughs> see you, you're in your fancy schmancy studio where you do a I'm lot of fancy, fancy. fancy. It's just a room. It's a room. It's full, of, it's full of pictures of my kids. Oh, no. You know, it's just, it's, it's, I, call it, I call it my atelier. My it atelier. looks very atelier-ish because it's got leaded glass and wood. I know, I know. Those, those. Uh, my mother found those at a garage sale, and uh, and they made it into the into the house. <laughs> it's gorgeous. All right, Timmer, tell folks about yourself, starting at the beginning. Oh, yeah. What what made you who you are now, and the really good enough parent that you became? Okay, well, I'm going to leap ahead um, to um, let's see, having kids. How's that? No, you leap you want to know about you want to know about the about the childhood part of it. Uh, I want to know what you think now that you're a parent looking back on your childhood, which in my mind was a fairly impressive and interesting childhood involving Mm. international intrigue and the arts. Ooh, well, um, it's, that is interesting. Um, and it's, it's all kind of accidental. You know, my mom and dad met, um, in at the at uh, at college, University of Michigan, they were uh, they were uh, some formal 
setting uh, for the the foreign students. My dad was Turkish. He was still a captain in the Turkish army at that point, and he he was studying electrical engineering. And my mother met him at, I believe it was her sorority house. They had a, they had a, you know, those things they used to do in the 60s and the 50s. And I'm sure there were white gloves and puffy dresses. I have no idea, but uh, that's, Sounds like could that's the way I imagine it. Fancy you know. ball. Okay. Yeah, not, something like that. Yeah. Okay. And so they uh, well, anyway, they got together. Um, I arrived. Uh, that... Uh, then and they were they got married and then they got divorced and uh, I don't know if the folks at home how will well if they if anyone remembers the um, the Tammy Wynette song R D I V O R C E becomes final today that song uh, that was me that came out the year before my folks got their D I V O R C and uh, in the song he talks about little J O E I was little J O E because I was four years old when the oh. when the thing came out um, it it makes me a little you know little dewy now when I hear it happily I don't hear it very often but uh, that that song. Uh, I think it captured something because there were a lot of divorces happening at that time. Uh, And a lot of kids, maybe too young to get married, got married. I'm just thinking about my mom. She was 22 when she had me. Um, And uh, anyway, she's doing great. I'm doing great. We love each other. We have a great time. No friction. No, you know, just joy, joy, joy. Um, And what's interesting my dad, who, as I say, when he when he first came to the United States, he was still, you know, a young officer in the Turkish army. He was um, a very, uh, I guess, what you you. It was almost as if he was from a generation before my mom. So he was like, what's the, before the boomers, the silent generation. It's almost as if he, beca- he came from that generation. It's only because he came from a different culture. It isn't, uh, it isn't about the age at this, at this point, you know, but, um, and, and that's funny. Cause I talked to my sister about this. Uh, my dad, he, you know, he was rather strict and worried that we weren't learning things that we weren't picking up, um, you know, uh, skills and, you know, knowledge that we had to have that he worked so hard, you know, to, to, uh, to get. And now my God, he is the fuzziest, warmest, cuddliest teddy bear of a grandpa you have ever encountered. He wised up. And it's a shock. It's a, who is this guy? But, you know, I, we call him up. I, you know, it's, it's funny. I've listened to, uh, to, uh, your, um, you know, your previous guests and, you know, you, you always, at one point we, we, the, the conversation turns to, to tech or to, uh, the screens, the cell phones. And, you know, I agree with just about everything that was said, but I do have to say they're really, really wonderful because my, um, my dad lives, uh, in Turkey half the year and, Florida, the other half, and my mom and my stepdad live in France, and we communicate on, you know, FaceTime or WhatsApp or, you know, but we can do these video calls and it's so easy and it's free. It's wonderful. And my God, you should see the guy's face light up when he sees his grandkids. It just, oh, yes. I know it's beautiful. I just want to add the caveat to all the tech derision that I utter. Um, I do agree that being able to see a human face and the way we're able to connect now with people in mm. far-flung parts of the world uh, is so important. It's so important oh, yeah. to our human evolutionary path that we can stay and get closer. So, yes, oh, I, I yeah. definitely agree with you. I'm glad you and your fuzzy dad are able to <laughs> see each other more often that way. Um, he shaved. He shaved today. I saw him earlier. <laughs> Um, I think that's such a great point about culture and how at that point when you were being raised up, America was going through um, a hippie liberal education revolution 
uprising and old school people, maybe from parts of the world where education was often a privilege not afforded everyone were much more likely to think you need to learn to read and write and do your arithmetic and Mm -hmm. all this other touchy feely stuff is a bunch of hooey. Um, But now your dad has come around to understand that there was some merit to that weird education you got apparently. I don't think he'd go that far. Oh. But, <laughs> okay. but I can tell you it's really not important that. to him. It's not important to him because I'm, you know, here I am middle-aged and uh, he loves his grandkids and he, you know, he even, he even compliments me sometimes on my, on my parenting. Oh, by the way, parenting. Since when that. did, when did that become a verb? Cause it's useful. It really is. You know, it's when, when did we start talking about parenting as, as a verb? Yeah. Well, that's something that's come up here. And, and I think for my parents' generation, um, as my dad said in his episode, you just raised up your kids. You didn't put a lot of time and thought into it. And Uh, nobody was discussing at the park, how they were parenting their child, what theories they were employing or what tax mm -hmm. tactics they were using. Um, so I don't know, like everything, it, it warranted a little bit of uh, investigation, I guess. At some point, people realized that if you wrote books about it and Dr. Mm-hmm. Spock shouldn't be the only authority, thank goodness we moved on from that. Oh, my God. There's a whole a whole shelf full of books. Mm-hmm. A million yeah, ways. And you can read them all and still, you know, still be clueless. Well, in my case, I'll speak for myself. <laughs> okay, except I have to remind you, you're a guest on Really Good Enough Parent podcast, which means you are a really good enough parent or you wouldn't be here. So tell me a little <laughs> bit about what your childhood informed in the way of your now parenting approach. Oh, well, you know, I'm, it's, it's interesting because, uh, you know, the notion of, of imparting knowledge, I, I, you know, I thought a lot about this when, when, uh, my, uh, we were waiting for the arrival of my daughter, my first, our first child. We, you know, you, you stop and think, right? What it all means or what you want to do or how do you, how do you want to do it? And what do you want to achieve? Of course, none of that means anything until you meet the person you're working with. And I'm talking about the child. And I'll swear to you, my, my daughter, I was there when she was born and she came out and she, she turned around and she looked at me and there was a palpable look of disappointment on her face. <laughs> and I said, honey, this is New York City. That helped a little bit, but that hairy things, my dad. Ugh. Anyway, but. Uh, yeah. they, they are who they are from the word go, right? They are. They are. And you just discover and you learn and you get to know. Um, but of course, so uh, I thought about, you know, those, I talk about my dad and I don't want to speak ill of him, but you know, when he was young and I was younger, he worried that I wasn't getting things, you know, about the world. I wasn't understanding. And he had struggles because, you know, he's a, you know, a Turkish guy, weird name, you know, living in Detroit. Um and, you know, a thick accent. And he, you know, he felt like the world wasn't giving him, and it was probably true, you know, it happens, you know, the world wasn't treating him quite, you know, as, as an equal to everyone else, even though he clearly had the ability. Uh, I'm talking about professionally now, but, you know, he would, he would have these moments and the conversation would always start like this. He'd say, in this world, son, and then the the knowledge, the wisdom would follow thereafter. In this world, son, and I don't know where he got that. If it, you know, it was from a movie or something, but uh, I, I, I never rolled my eyes when I heard that phrase. But inside, I thought, oh, geez, here we go. But he, was he doesn't do that anymore. Knowledge. And right. actually, everything that he said had some, you know, had some, some truth anyway. So my approach was not to do any of the, in this world conversations, not to, you know, not to, um, 
not to treat the impact because I mean, it's if you, I I thought about I think about this a lot. The imparting of knowledge of skills is really the most essential part of uh, it. It's 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 one of the most essential parts of humanity, of society, of civilization. That you know what happens today can be traced back directly, probably, to something somebody did, you know, and taught son or daughter to do thousands of years ago. I I mean, don't ask me to trace the line you know, to how, you know, well, how sharpening a sharpening of a flint knife uh, led to the to, led to the iPhone, but it did, right? I mean, in an organization as well. Um, I was regarding some ants earlier today in our kitchen and uh, it it was uh, it's quite remarkable how how organized they are anyway so i think about imparting knowledge and do how do i do this and and, and i i don't want to be i don't want to be constantly saying now you know this has a blah 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 and in the 12th century this came from the blah blah blah, blah. you know that that that's really boring but I find that just doing and enjoying and sometimes coercing help and participation does the same thing. It, it, uh, in fact, I think we'll all agree that, that, uh, knowledge that is gained from experience is, is, uh, is deeper, is, is more useful than is something you'd learn in a book. And, it, and, and it's unfortunate that, you know, school is such a big part. It has to be such a big part of our lives as children. And it's really not the most efficient setting for deep learning, but we take what we got and we just get better and better. So we live I in a world hear you of data. saying the doing, the doing is the part that we the want. doing is the thing, and, and the time yeah. for children doing, not preaching. Yeah, yeah. And my kids are absorbing things. My daughter knows how to be, knows how to brew beer. Uh, and win. that's the win. You know, Good job. Dan. Yeah, yeah. And she, I mean, when she gets to college, no. Uh, but uh, yeah, break. <laughs> making bread, um, fixing stuff. Of course, all the things I go to YouTube for. Now yeah. I'm their YouTube. <laughs> One of the reasons why I wanted to have you on was because that's exactly how I picture you living your life with your children um, as a tight unit. You, your wife, your two children, travel through the world, do interesting things as a tight unit. And my sense is, of course, they have to go through their, you know, disgusted teen years where nothing we do or say is relevant or anything <laughs> less than majorly embarrassing. Um, but that aside, your kids seem to really enjoy you. You seem to be close with them. You seem to have a lot of family traditions and things you like to do together. And to me, that bespeaks a really good enough parent situation oh I know well you, thank you yeah well i've enjoyed watching it um you love food for example you love good yes food. You yes love it's obvious i love preparing food, food. <laughs> can you speak a little bit about how food has played a part in your parenting well um this is interesting i i've had a lot of jobs my first job and actually many of my day jobs have been in restaurants and started, I started in the kitchen and worked, of course, the people in front, the big secret is the waiters make so much more and it's not, it's not fair, but that's the way it is. And something's got to change guys out there, you folks at home. Um, Amen. And so I learned, I learned to cook. I learned to cook that, that feel that, you know, as we were saying, learn, you learn by doing, by watching less than 
you know, Jacques Pepin telling you, well, I guess he's showing you as well if you're watching him on, you know, his television show. But um, uh, the kids, um, we've never, we've never uh, thought of food as something that should be that, well, let me put it this way. We don't give the kids food that isn't part of the meal for for the adults as well. Um, I know that's it's a, lo- a lot of parents, a lot of our friends um, are quite anxious about the eating habits of the kids, and of course we are. Of course we want them to you know to be healthy and to eat enough and to get the right things, nutritious, etc. But um, they got to eat what's there. Now that said, there are some things that when I was little, I remember. They were absolutely disgusting. And I'm not going to make those for my kids, uh, at least not now, not for a while, because that disgusting stuff is actually quite nice. But it's nice if, you know, if you're above a teenager, you know, if you're older than 13, perhaps. Yeah, I remember having to eat. Uh, we were allowed to choose one thing that we didn't want to eat. And my thing was liver. Oh. Um, and my brother's thing was Brussels sprouts. Um, and so we were only allowed to choose one food item that we said we wouldn't eat, but everything else had to be eaten mm-hmm. without complaining. And um, before we made that rule, I remember when I had to eat liver, I would cut it into the most minuscule pieces possible. <laughs> and I was so surprised how even if you cut a piece of liver to, you know, a millimeter by millimeter size and bury it in your peas, you still can taste the liver. Oh, through the it's pe- still liver. Oh, oh it's yummy, though. That. I love liver now. I don't get enough of it because I have kids. <laughs> Who don't like it. Yeah. You bake bread a lot. You, um, even pre COVID when everyone else discovered sourdough, you were baking bread regularly. And I think one of the things about your parenting style that I observed and really appreciated Mm. is your joy in, um, sourcing, procuring, creating food, um, is palpable when someone's around you, your delight that you take in, in food in making bread and baking things out in your Italian uh, oven outside and making a roast. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, I think that's really important for kids to observe, um, to participate in, and to then um, hopefully adopt as their own worldview. Because food is such an important part of social connection, of mm. attaching of nurturing, yes. of um, taking care of yourself, ultimately, of being a social <clears throat> animal. Um, yes. And so, you know, when I think of you and your parenting style, honestly, your food relationship is a big part of what I admire. Oh, well, this is, Chris, this is quite interesting because um, I think the only difference, if there is a difference between me and you know some some of the older parents in my family say is i prioritize food food is prioritized perhaps more than it was when i was little i don't know uh but you know i i learned those turkish recipes somehow uh, and not out of a book so but uh it's you know it's prioritizing things you know m- m- making just acknowledging that it's important for something to be good or the quality of something to be good and this is this goes for everything you know my uh, my son is just uh, we were just talking before we started here um, he's he's got his opening night for his first school musical today and I'm thrilled. I'm over the moon. I know that when it starts, I'm just going to be a blubbering puddle, but that's, I've, I've always had the overactive lacrimal glands, I think, but, uh, I'll be, I'll be bawling. But, um, we, we prioritize doing stuff right. 
um, the, it's I it always made me uncomfortable when something had to be degraded, something had to be we in our business we call it phoned in. We don't, you know, we don't think of that that we it, we do it out of need. Sometimes we do because we're we're all busy, but uh, making taking the time to do food properly, you know, if you're making the gallo pinto, to actually cutting up the the carrot, the onion, the celery to do the you know the well they in French they call it mirepoix. I don't know what it's called in Spanish. Uh, anyway, whatever it's called in Spanish, somebody out there can, can type in, but, uh, taking the time to do that, it makes all the difference. And if you expect that everything, you know, everything you eat is given that, that much attention, then you appreciate it more and you think about it more. I'm having a huge epiphany now about the value and importance of food in the parenting paradigm, because I'm realizing that it can be the delivery system for all the knowledge, literally mm. almost everything you'd want your child to know could be imparted through the experience of food, <laughs> the cultural, the connecting, the traditions, the um, here's why we want to be open-minded, um, <clears throat> the respect, um, mm -hmm. the local sourcing, uh, the math that comes in with cooking, um, yeah. the chemistry that comes in with baking, the, um, you know, the ability to give and receive. It's sort of biology in baking life. in my house. Biology. Sorry. If you're making yes, I interrupted you there. Sorry <laughs> about that. We get chemistry okay. and biology in a loaf of bread in my house. We actually, my sourdough is like a pet. It lives in the fridge. Your sourdough has been going for quite a while, huh? Yes. Um, I started it long before COVID, but uh, it I used it so much during COVID because we weren't going shopping. Uh, I used it so much. <laughs> It's, uh, you know, as with sourdough starter, the more you use it, the more you feed it. And the more you feed it, the stronger it gets. And I think, uh, I think my sourdough now is about strong enough to lift a taxi cab. <laughs> Maybe you could share it with some people and then we could have sure. really strong sourdough. <laughs> it might kick down that. your door. Watch out. Yeah, yeah. Bring me some over here. Send it over here. Probably wouldn't get through TSA. Probably has needs its own ticket. All right. So you want to riff on that anymore? Childhood food, um, ch food now. Do your kids like to eat most of what you put on the table? Well, yes, they do. Now that isn't because they have uh, necessarily cultivated palates or anything like that. I, I don't want to oversell this. As I say, they eat what we eat. That is mom and dad. Um, and my mother-in-law is with us every, every day for dinner, which is great. Uh, that was a, a COVID thing. She was part of our bubble. She lives next door, folks at home. Um, it, um, it's, we think of everyone when when the menu is decided, and it obviously, you know, some things are more popular than others. But I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna uh, put something out that I know is a hard sell, a really hard sell. Maybe once in a while, if you really love it. And yes. on that point. Family dinner is a big part of your parenting. Oh, deal. yes. Yes, we have generally, as a family, we have two meals uh, a day together. Now, I know that is a luxury. It's a luxury to be able to get up and sit at the table, all of us, and uh, we allow reading at the table and, you know, for breakfast because quite often there's a newspaper and you know, uh, or, you know, books. Um, but, uh, we're together. And then, 
um, and then dinner time is always. I don't want folks to get the the idea that this it's a very formal thing, but we do have candles, and I find that focuses attention uh, when the room is is I won't say dark, but not all well lit, and there are candles on the table. Not only does it look nice, you know, to someone coming in, but it, uh, I find it focuses everyone's attention to the center of the table and on to the, you know, to the people around the table. And we talk, we chatter, we laugh. We laugh too much, perhaps. Not a thing. That's not a thing. Oh, You're I don't okay. know. You're still in the good zone. We're howling with laughter sometimes. Sometimes I think the neighbors might complain. Anyway. Yeah. There are worse <laughs> things, especially in New York City. Um, this whole candle dinner table thing, I think some folks may think that organizing um, a family dinner is outside the realm of possible. Nowadays, mm-hmm. everyone's moving in a million directions and can't coordinate yeah. schedules easily. And the idea of a formal table may be off-putting to some, but um, at the risk of sounding like an old crank, I agree with you on this. Um, and I really think that having that sort of semi-sacred family time speaks to the children a message of we matter as a family, you matter as individuals, Mm -hmm. being together matters, communicating matters. Um, We want to hear what you have to say, which is so important for children, especially with the increasing levels of anxiety and lack of self-esteem that so many kids suffer from just having the parents who love them, who care mm-hmm. for them, sitting around being curious about them um, can be so important. And candles are great. Candles aren't that expensive. You can buy some tapers and stick them in some old. I did read and- something um, just about that in the, the Times the other day about, uh, about um, paraffin candles that they give off poisonous, toxic fumes. Uh, Great. One more thing. I don't want to. I don't want to raise anybody's uh, anxiety right. level, don't, don't but cheap candles, beeswax, beeswax. Uh, yeah, and and some some um, wicks have lead in them. I don't know who puts lead in a wick. Anyway, I mean. Okay, so know your source. Who knows? Oh, yes, soy candles. I make a lot of soy, soy candles. candles. Oh, yeah, really? I buy soy. You can buy it on Amazon. I get like a forty-pound box of soy lard it looks like it comes in a big <laughs> bag in a box and i make candles with it but i need to investigate my wicks obviously uh candle well, making is yeah. fun and easy just don't use paraffin apparently don't don't use, we don't do that at home we don't make our own candles that's that's i'm, I'm yeah i make bread One we make thing beer I have on you yeah <laughs> beer bread amazing roasts handmade pizza dough <laughs> pies that looks so incredibly delicious when you oh that's my wife my god she's and she's so good she she'll post it but what's great is she has she knows the filters to make to highlight the pie in the center of the photo that i wish i could you know she's got this i mean not only is it beautiful to look at when you see it in person but it but it's photographed and presented so beautifully and uh, there's an art to that (sighs) Yeah, we don't do that very often. That's a, that's a weekend thing. That's a, a weekend event. So let's talk about discipline. Ah. Well. I'm curious. Uh, discipline. That's funny. I don't think about that much because I don't feel it's something that we really need to do. Now, you know, I'm very, very lucky. My kids you know, occasionally we have acting out, but, you know, and, and so do we all just, it's different. Um, uh, I've never had a problem appealing to my children's rational side when things get rough. Uh, when, or I, I don't mean to say that I can just, you know, take my daughter's hand, look in her eyes and say, now, do we really think the blah, blah, blah? No, that's not what I mean. What I mean is um, 
it's, I mean, it's all about listening. It's about listening and, and understanding and, you know, putting things in context and, and, you know, to be, to be fair, I, it's, it's about modeling behavior as well. And this is not something you can really, if you model behavior consciously, you're acting. And there are some very good actors out there who could get away with it. I would never be able to get away with that. Need to interject but, here for one second. Hold your thought to those listening. Timmer is an accomplished, a, a, an accomplished, trained, incredible actor, which we have not even touched on in here. But so when you talk about acting, I just need to say that Timmer oh, is a great okay. actor. Okay, back to your thought. Well, uh, you know, you'd say, oh, uh, if you say to yourself, "I'm going to model something useful at this moment to yourself," and then you go about trying to model it. At least my daughter, my son, they'll look at you. Then they'll see right through, right through you. You know, it's funny. Kids have a way of, they can smell bullshit. Ooh, um, sorry. Is yes. this? Okay. This is an explicit uh, show because I'm a, aware that my friends are colorful. So you can curse. Oh, okay. Like, yeah. Ooh, it's going to get salty. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm, I'm joking. Um, Kids have good bullshit meters. They, yeah. They saying. see <laughs> right through it. And, you know, they're, occasionally I have these moments, uh, moments when I, you know, there's no other way to say when I lose my shit, it happened the other day. Uh, not the other day. It was months ago. We, we live around the corner from what used to be called Trump Soho. Now it's a hotel. It's now called something else. I'm not going to plug it. I'm not going to tell what it's called now. You can find it. If you want to, if you want to stay there, you can find its own damn name. Anyway, uh, it's every time we drive anywhere, which is not that often, but occasionally we have to go by it. We have to go by. That's how we get out of our world. We have to turn left at that street and go by. And I realize that every time I go past that place, my blood pressure goes up and uh, I don't know if, you know, many of the listeners have been to New York city, but, uh, in New York, uh, vehicles, taxi cabs, uh, limousines, delivery trucks, they double park. That's just part of life. But everybody makes pretty much everybody makes an attempt to get out of traffic so that traffic can continue either to the left or the right of you, you know, wherever you happen to be. Well, this guy, this limo didn't even try just stop bang in the middle of the road. <laughs> and I, I, Oh, I feel so ashamed now when I'm, when I'm telling you, but I laid on the horn and the guy got out and he was looking at me and he was, you know, shrugging and, you know, and just gesturing and I was honking and he was angry and I was angry and he came over and I said, you know, you didn't even try to get out of the way. And, uh, and your kids were in the car. Is this the point? And they were in the back seat okay. and nobody said anything. Nobody said anything, but. I realized, of course, how, of course it's foolish. Of course, that's a silly thing. But, you know, I didn't realize that it was, it wasn't just, it wasn't just a limo, you know, backing traffic up around the corner. And it, not only that, now I, I don't want to, I don't want people to, in my defense, it is, it is rather a big deal. It's, he probably backed traffic up all the way. We live below Houston. He probably, you know, there was a knock-on effect all the way to 14th Street by do, just by doing that because it's one of these turns. Off. It's, uh, but basically, you're you know, saying your rage was justified because yeah. you were thinking well, of all no, the I, other was, Rage is not justified, but and nor was my asinine behavior. <laughs> but uh, uh, the next morning, sort of uh, eating humble pie about it, bringing it up and saying you know, this is, that was really stupid. And, uh, and I realize now that it probably has a lot to do with the name that used to be on that building. <laughs> Where that was say, with really good enough parenting, well, specifically the good enough parent model, this is exactly what we are looking for. And you just exemplified perfectly why this is uh, important that we are humans and we are yeah. imperfect. We are flawed. We are complicated. And our children need to know this and they need to know mm. how we manage this. Because if we raise our children 
with the expectation that perfection is the goal, then everybody will get in trouble. Then everything will fall apart. Then we won't know how to handle ourselves. We won't know how to pick ourselves up. We won't know how to experience feelings that are confusing. So mm. actually, I would like to endorse that little blowout you had and say that it was a wonderful learning opportunity for your kids to see that mm, this is this one is how, way to this do is how this. a nut job behaves. This is one way to do this. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and then that you repaired afterwards is huge because yeah. that's where the real lesson comes in. Oh, oh God. Well, yeah. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> I'll take yeah, that. I'll take, I mean, it, now, it, but perfection, isn't perfection the goal? Isn't it really? I mean, perfe- I mean, nobody attains it. Nobody does. Nobody does. There's nobody out there who's perfect. People who to us may seem perfect to themselves and to their mothers, you know, they might see all the you know problems, but you know, perfection. Perfection. Yeah. 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 It's something that's a worthy goal, isn't it? Uh, okay. So speaking as a parent, you may think that for yourself, Timmer, you mm-hmm. are striving for perfection. Yeah. Um, but let me ask you, would you really want your children bearing that burden? Look at those beautiful faces and say to yourself, I want these children to be thinking that perfection is the goal. That's a pretty tough road for those kids. So it may be that yes. you're thinking perfection for yourself, but if we turn this lens onto what we're actually mm-hmm. wanting for our children, that's where the idea of perfection hits a rough patch. Okay. Um, <clears throat> let me throw this out then. Uh, next week is uh, the, every year my kids have a piano recital with their teacher and uh, they've got their pieces. They've been practicing they've played them perfectly at least once or twice um is a perfect is a so okay say you know you're doing a well let's back to piano so you want to hit every note the right note and you have your you know your tempos everything steady and except where you want to um that's that's a worthy goal to me. Uh, and it's, it's, it may never be attained. Uh, and yet if we don't try, we kind of, you know, we, we're, we're where based, you're going. you know, yes. And transcendence especially- happens when you, when you get to a, a level, a point, you know, in that endeavor, uh, well, this yes. is hard and to, I yeah. and I support this in in many ways, and I think especially what we were talking previously about food—that you know, sort of accepting mediocrity or just you know eating some calories just to get something in your belly—you know, sort of what we're talking about. And there's certainly nothing wrong with aiming to respect the thing you're doing in its highest form, right? That's why mm-hmm. we practice. That's why we do things over and over. That's why you know the most incredible works of art. Um, wow us the way they do because the painter or the sculptor or the whomever like did a thousand versions before we got to see the one that we see. Ah, right. Yeah. Right. So we're not saying that perfection in and of itself is a bad thing, but I think as parents, what we're talking Mm -hmm. about is what message do we want our children to be taking away? And the idea that uh, you do your best and maybe you try hard and maybe you don't, always hit perfection and then you're just as valuable right or ever your value as a human being and your sense of who you are shouldn't be tied to the achievement of perfection maybe the pursuit of it as long as right absolutely absolutely um yeah yeah it's we you know it's i think it's the moment to moment thing you know uh, i i understand you know, kids wanting kids to be perfect. Um, I think that that is kind of an outdated, I, I, I can imagine my grandmother had a concept of the perfect version of my mother. Um, that of course never happened, but I cannot conceive because I have no idea what's going to happen, what the perfect version of my children is, are perfect versions are because obviously I have no idea what's coming. 
no idea what they're going to end up doing. Uh, you know, that's it. It would be really difficult for me to to try to shape it, to even think I could shape it. It'd be that's it's a it's foolish for yeah. me to even try. I think we're mixing important metaphors here because I think that you know to be a child is in and of itself perfect with the mess, yes. with the chaos, with the dirt and complaining and crying and trying and all the things that come with childhood. Childhood uh, maybe can and should be seen as a perfect experience uh, when mm. done in a loving place. Um, but I think that pressure to be perfect, now that we're talking about this, I think we've hit on two very important ideas in this little chat we've had here, the idea of food and the idea of perfection. Um, with perfection comes a pressure that can really squish a soul. And I think a lot of parents get into trouble when their children aren't behaving perfectly. Uh, and then it becomes a reflection of them and all their shortcomings and all this, all the stuff that comes up that hasn't maybe been dealt with, which could have been dealt with before you decide to become a parent, ideally. Mm, um, yeah. But right, so much of uh, troubled parenting or parenting that goes awry happens when a child is just being a child and the mm -hmm. parent has an idea that the child should somehow be more perfect, more well-behaved, more compliant, more polite. Talk to your auntie. Why are you not talking to her? You know, you should, she mm -hmm. asked you a question. Why aren't you saying all the things I want you to say? Um, you know, there's a lot of pressure for this type of idealized child that I think yeah. uh, gets everyone into trouble. But yeah, no, you're right. You're right. Uh, I, I like to say I insist on certain things. I insist that a fork and a knife be used at the table. Doesn't mean it always happens. Doesn't mean it happens well. But um, if I, I set that as a goal, and you know, uh, I've said several times, I and my kids are at that age, you know, where they can't, where they're, until they're really comfortable, they can't have a conversation with a, with an adult who's a, a stranger to them. And that's perfectly normal. That's perfectly normal. And I'm, I'm not going to berate them for it. However, I can, you know, I can say that, you know, ideally you'd want to be able, or I don't do it quite, I don't wheedle, but, uh, you know, and, and very often we don't have to even point this out, but it's it's clear where we want things, where we where what kind of life, what kind of behavior is acceptable, and that for us is a pretty broad range because kids, as you say, kids as we were, kids are kids, and we're learning, and you know. You, if you get, if you get angry about a child not behaving like an adult, what's wrong with that? You know, that's a, that's, that's a huge mistake right away. You know, right, right away. That's you. You shouldn't. You, you can't see them as adults. You shouldn't have the same expectations. But you know, when things happen, when you know, things go well, then great. If they don't, then, you know, they know. Yeah. Fork I want and to knife, get though. Fork and knife, <laughs> the new fork and knife club uh, with the non-paraffin candles. Um, I You mentioned previously when I asked you about discipline uh, that you're lucky, as you said, um, that your children um, don't, I'm putting air quotes, need to be disciplined um, very often. Um, I would like to point out that that is, I believe, almost exclusively the result of the conscientious, nurturing, attached parenting that you and your wife have done. And this ah. is my point, that it's not a random thing. It's not okay. a coincidence that you have, air quote again, well-behaved children. Okay. Um, but that when children are raised with a sense of connection, attachment, consistency, love, uh, that they are seen and heard, that their voices are valued, 
Um, all mm-hmm. these very basic, often difficult to achieve because we are flawed humans, um, that when you have this situation, it is not surprising that the children would then, you know, be, air quotes again, well-behaved. Yes, right. Well-behaved. And what does that mean? Um, I should mention, you know, that I don't just now, I'm thinking thinking it out, and I, there's really very little that my kids don't do that I wish they would do or uh, do that I wish they wouldn't do. You know, there is because, you know, we know each other. <laughs> so uh, there's not there's not a struggle. There's no disappointment. And this is something I have to say, I have to give uh, give props to my wife. I This is something I've re- I learned from her, and that is to let go of stuff, to let go, because anger is, a, emotions are real. They are absolutely real. Some Sometimes they're not acknowledged as such because you can't touch them, you can't see them, but they are real. But they they don't need to be permanent. And I can remember when uh, a blow up would leave one or several people in our house when I was when I was young, in a foul mood for a long time. Like reconsider everything, you know, because of this blow up, whatever. And that, oh, um, I learned from my wife just how just how easy it is to move on, move on, you know, and unless someone is doing something. Well, no, that never happens. I don't even. I won't even finish that sentence. There's no. There's no reason why it should. Yeah. You know. That's a really important point. So yeah. important. One of the highest predictors for child ADHD diagnosis is strife in the home. Um, oh. That when the parents aren't able to get along or when there is a lot of uh, hostile open debating, when the children feel unmoored or unsafe in the home because of mm-hmm. the dynamic, the emotions that go unchecked, for example, um, that's one of the highest predictors of the extremely uh in the the very quickly increasing ADHD diagnoses that are that are more and more uh common and that's one of the biggest predictors so good for you for getting a handle on that and for breaking the tradition um right because we often do what our parents did until we acknowledge and investigate and think hard about what was done for us because it is a natural um it is natural This is to huge no, I. Sorry, I don't know if you know we're 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 the same age. I'm glad people can't see my gray. Hair. No, no, okay. Anyway. You look um, incredibly terrific. For yeah, but not gray. as good as you. <laughs> um, uh, it's it's this has this is a these are questions that I'm pondering now and and actually. You know, podcasts, I love podcasts, and I listen to them, and sometimes I read the little brief note, you know, oh, and I get excited because this is going to address the question I have. Why do boomers, our parents, my parents, I won't talk about other folks' parents, why do, why do they want to move to suburbs or exurbs and not live near other people where when that is what I have always wanted. I'm I'm happy as could be living in New York City. I talk to strangers every day. I don't look for strangers to talk to, but it just happens, you know. And my but my mom and my stepdad, they want to live far away from everybody. Of course it's beautiful out there, but there's nobody else. You know, why, why, why? This is connected to what, what was the thought here? Well, breaking, breaking, uh, you know, uh, traditions, uh, breaking, you know, like, why do we do, why do they do things that there must be a historical, you know, like, why did my grandmother have such a 
clear notion of what my mother's life should be like and why how did it fall short well you know we can see what happened and you know there was a cultural revolution in the 60s uh what you know it's so i hear you you're saying you're asking you're positing that um it doesn't have to be that way Right. Clearly, you broke the you broke the tradition of moving to the burbs as an older person. You're not that old. We're both still very young. Yeah. Um, I feel like we've gone but, backwards. Actually, you know, moved back to the village. <laughs> Who that you we all did. have? We did. Yes, not you. You you live in a very nice hilltop. <laughs> yeah, but you are exactly where you want to be. Right. Which, as a parent, is a super important detail because as parents, we have to feel that we're living our best lives because if we're feeling compromised, if we're, if we're making sacrifices or decisions that don't feel right, uh, then our kids pick up on that. Mm. Um, I have many more thoughts about how and why and if we can break family traditions um, but we'll save that for another time in another podcast. Just suffice oh. to say that I'm so glad that you live in New York City because you, in my mind, live New York City in the best possible way that one could live New York City. And that is that you take advantage of all that it offers and you revel in its, in its multitudinous cultural options and your children are benefiting from that so much by being out among people all the time. So good job. Um, Thank you. Glad you're Thank there. you. Final <laughs> thought. We have to wrap up. I wish we didn't have to. Oh, I'm wondering. It... Yeah. Well, you have a show to get to. Already? Oh, my God. We've done it. <laughs> yeah. Um, final thought uh, can be anything parenting related. But I'm also curious if there's something that you're currently mad about in a good way, like just crazy happy about, focused on, obsessed with, wanting to promote, oh, wanting to share mm. a book, a podcast, a thought, a piece of well, music. Well, um, we, well, books, you know, we, during COVID, we read a lot when we were locked in our house. <laughs> Uh, we went through all of Asterix, all of Harry Potter, and, um, and there was a book that was given to us by a friend uh, that my daughter and I read together. And it's a long book. It's well, it's actually three books in one. It's called His Dark Materials. Oh, I forgot the name of the author, but it's great. It's wonderful for kids. Um, for kids, well, my daughter's age at that time, she was uh, 11, 12, and wow, fantastic. Uh, my son and I are, are going through the Lord of the Rings right now, and we're having a lot of fun. We read The Hobbit. In fact, today at school, was they have this thing at uh, my kid's school called the Storybook Parade for the junior school. And the Storybook Parade, you you bring the book in, and you dress up like a character from the book. So of course you get lots of Hermione Grangers, you know, you get, uh, you know, kids find, you know, one kid found a book about Iron Man. He was Iron Man. Great. Okay. And one of the teachers, one of the Spanish teachers came as Don Quixote. I thought it was oh, great. Fantastic. Oliver went as Bilbo Baggins. This wore of a suit, took, it, took his shoes yeah. off, <laughs> took his shoes off and he was a hobbit. That was the first book I read. You know, yeah, me too. And I didn't learn to read until like third grade, but that was my first book and it was yeah. great. Oh, me too. Yes. Yay. I I'm will not put surprised. in the show notes. No, we, we share a lot with the Waldorf background. I will put yeah. in the show notes the book that you just mentioned. I'll Google it and get it in yeah. there. His Dark um, Materials. Now, there, there are some great podcasts out there for kids. We listen to, we don't listen to, we listen to a lot of podcasts. We don't listen to many uh, kids' podcasts, but in the car, we share uh, some joy Drive whenever we have to drive anywhere. A thing called Grim Grimmer Grimmest. Uh, this storyteller, his name is Adam Gimwitz, puts together, he tells basically tells a story, a grim fairy tale, 
or a fairy tale, uh, a, a story from that time, but gets the gets the the oldest version he can find, with all of its gory detail, and he tells it to kids in a classroom, and he and they interact, and then there's a there's another part of it, and the reason why I found it, well, we didn't we found it because the kids wanted to listen to it, but then I realized that one of my best actor friends is on it. He always plays the devil. I'll, I'll I'll give him a shout out. Colin Ryan is always the devil. It's always the bad guy or the king oh, or yeah. So anyway, Colin's great in this, but um, the the it's storytelling and then it's acted out and and then it's and it's but it's always with the kids sort of filling in the the things that have happened or haven't happened yet and oh it's fantastic. I love that, and I don't know if you're aware that you just made a reference to the Bruno Bettelheim. Uh, after whom I named this podcast, who was the man who wrote the book called Good Enough Parenting. And um, Bruno Bettelheim was a great advocate of the importance of those traditional Grimm's fairy tales and mm. other fairy tales for children because of what they represent, the reality, the duality, the dark, the light, the good, mm -hmm. the evil, and how important it is for children to wrestle with and understand that and feel comfortable with that from a young age. But the huge detail that I just feel the need to point out here before we close is that when you're reading it with your own eyeballs or hearing your father read it to you or listening to it on a podcast, your little child brain is able to formulate as much gruesome detail as your little child brain oh. can manage. Whereas <laughs> yes. if you're watching it through yeah. some adult eyes in their yeah. Hollywood version, then you're watching adult gruesomeness. You're yeah. watching an adult interpretation of what gruesome can and should be, which is maybe not what a child's brain can or should be managing. So yeah, just that's wanted true. to point out that the listening and reading can be really helpful to children, but watching certain things at young ages might not be so helpful. Yes. Yes. Oh, I've made that mistake. I, my, the first show that my daughter saw was, she was too young. She saw Papa as Tybalt in Romeo and Juliet. And when I got killed, she just wailed. Oh God, it was awful. Yeah, I felt she terrible. Die. That's maybe, she yeah, saw Papa die right there that. on the stage. Happily, it was, you know, they're not a paying audience. It was kind of an invited dress, but oh, big mistake there. Yeah. Big fail, fail. <laughs> but you recovered and you know everything well yeah because I, I had to play the nurse in the next scene it was, it was the the best contract ever if you have to i've done every part in romeo and juliet except romeo and juliet and the best contract <laughs> ever was tybalt the nurse and the friar all together it Exciting was stages. what fun Anyway, yeah, may I just now you've you've called this you've called this uh, podcast story time for adults. I do want to. There's one that my my wife and I are obsessed with. Uh, we it's called "If Books Could Kill." It's very very popular right now. Uh, Michael Hobbs and Peter Shamshiri. Uh, it's uh, it's this is something for adults, but I love it. We listen to it every week. And everything that comes out of the New York Times, we listen to every, you know, they have lots of great podcasts. Yeah. Speaking of New York Times, you were featured in the New York Times many times in your life, but your, uh, your wedding announcement was one of my favorite New York Times wedding announcements ever. The wedding announcement section in the New York Times. Oh. All right. On that note, <laughs> say hi to your lovely wife. Thank you for giving me this time. I hope Thank the show you. goes really well tonight and that your son feels like the rock star that he is. Oh, he I don't know. <laughs> we'll talk and again. All the best with this wonderful podcast, Chris. I love it. I love it. Love it. Love it. I can't wait to hear. I don't want to hear my episode, but I, I've heard it. But, you know, I'll <laughs> listen to the subsequent ones. You are the best. And you are a really good enough parent. Don't forget that. <sighs> good enough. <laughs> Good enough, but really. Thank you so much. All right. Aloha. Bye-bye. Talk soon. Bye. Take care. Bye. This has been another episode of A Really Good Enough Parent podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd love it if you'd leave me a rating or subscribe 
Subscribing helps boost my ratings, and rating me obviously helps boost my ratings, but only if you like what you heard. But apropos that, whether or not you do or don't like this, I really do like feedback. So please drop me a line if you'd like. Let me know if there's someone you want me to interview or a certain topic you'd like me to tackle. You can find out more about a really good enough parent podcast on the Pono Roots website at ponoroots.org. That's P-O-N-O-R-O-O-T-S dot org. Pono Roots is a nonprofit program, and if you wish to support our work, donations are always welcome. And with that, I'll leave you a quote from Carl Jung and something that my children remind me of every day. You are what you do, not what you say you'll do. George loves Detroit.